Hello, hello, and welcome to Review 2. This week we're Review 2-ing No Line on the Horizon. We waited over four years for this. Soul rocking people. Really, really irritates me. Da, 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 da. Butter scraped over too much bread. Get on those boots. No. You're back with Johnny and Tyler for another episode of Review 2. Tyler, what's been going on since we were last dismantling bombs with U2's last album? Uh, quite a lot, as it happens. Quite a lot. But we're finally here. We've gone all the way from boy to boots. Oh, wait. That's that's not us, is it? It's a different thing. Oh. But how did we get here? Mm. Right, let's go. So after the release of How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb in November 2004, the band embarked on the Vertigo World Tour in 2005. In December 2004, Bono featured in the Band-Aid 20 recording and re-recorded his line, Well, tonight, thank God it's them instead of you. This is then followed up a few months later with U2 opening the Live 8 concert at Hyde Park with Paul McCartney in July 2005. In 2006, U2 start recording with producer Rick Rubin in an effort to produce the follow-up album to How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb. After several months, however, with little success, the band decide to contact all favourites Brian Eno and Danny Lamoir. Only two songs from the Rick Rubin sessions eventually saw the light of day, one of which was a Skids cover, The Saints Are Coming, which they released in collaboration with Green Day. And the second was Window in the Skies, which came out in 2007. You 2 began working with Eno and Lamoir in May 2007. Bono had accepted an invitation to the World Sacred Music Festival in Fez, Morocco, and he invited his bandmates and the producers to attend. There, they rented out the Riyadh of the Hotel Riyadh El Yakout, I think that's how you pronounce that, and, uh, and turned it into a makeshift recording studio. And after then spending months experimenting with more traditional indigenous types of music, the band finally get their acts together and release No Line on the Horizon. Yeah, and I think uh, the length that it took to get us to that point reflects just how long this was. This is the longest stretch we've had. It's an absolute drought in terms of being a U2 fan and being hungry for more it, music. It was a long time. And, and that... There's a weird thing. There's, I think there's two schools of thought with um, among U2 fans. As many U2 fans are happy for them to just release music when it's ready. Although uh, I, I'm not really in that camp. I'm in the other camp of I, I would like them to just set themselves a time limit and... I'd just like to see how the music is, you know, put together and what they can come up with in a shorter length of time. Hmm. Because I think I think they are talented guys, but I think they 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 allow themselves a little bit too much freedom in that recording process. Well, they do overthink things, and that's the difficulty. I I think there's really good points made on both sides of that argument, but the difficulty is if they're going to come out with albums like How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb and No Line on the Horizon after taking this long then that whole idea that time equals quality isn't necessarily making sense here, is it? But, like, from November 2004 to February 2009, it's not as if we're imagining the band are spending all day every day in the studio for five years. Of, co- of course that's not happening. I, ju- I just think they could do it a little quicker if they m- maybe committed a little bit more to an album. And, and I think some albums would benefit from that. 
Yeah, I mean, it's difficult really to talk about the commitment because without really thinking about what is Bono doing, you know, is he is he flitting around? Doing, I mean, I say flitting around like he's not doing important work. And obviously, in real terms, the charity work is more important than the music. In real terms, you know, if you're actually benefiting from those from those kind of organizations, I, I'm a really big uh, big fan of the philanthropic work that Bono does, and and the rest of the band do. To you know, to be fair, but it's as a fan, I I do I kind of make I kind of I want the next hit of you too, and and yeah. I, and I don't want it in five years, and I, I don't want to constantly have interviews with people saying, oh, the album's coming in a few months. Uh, it'll, be, it'll be with us in September, and then you know that. I'd rather getting, radio silence than that. Yeah, than yeah. That when continuous... it keeps getting pushed back, yeah. Like remember when uh, we're skipping ahead a little bit, but when Invisible came out and it was a complete surprise, and no one expected it really. Yep. Um, I I was really happy, and Invisible is a great song. Um, so it's got to be. There's there's easier ways to do it. Mm. You can't keep saying to a child, oh, I'll buy you a toy tomorrow. I'll buy you a toy tomorrow. I'll buy you a toy tomorrow. You've got to say, I will buy you a toy on Friday and then buy the child that toy. I like how kind of inadvertently you've revealed sort of these two metaphors of you being a child desperate for a toy and also sort of an, an addict, addict. Yeah, <laughs> waiting for a hit. Um, but in terms of where I was when this album came out, I was in the third year of university and once again, probably even more so, surrounded by mates who were pretty much unimpressed by you two at the best of times. And they're not the coolest band at this point to like and say that you... I think I basically at this point just dropped it. I just When people would say, who's your favourite band? I'd just say, let's just not get into it. Um, well, at least you were in university where people... I think there's a little bit more freedom to, you know, and, and people are allowed to like what they like and there's much more of a a sense of the individual at yeah. university. Well, in theory, yeah. I was at college. I was at sixth form college, a Roman Catholic sixth form college. And for the first year... You know, I'd been associating with people who were into music and they would ask me, you know, who's your favourite band? And I'd say you too. And they would scorn and scoff. But at least in the not so distant um, past, we had Vertigo and sometimes you can't make it on your own and the How, you, How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb album. Mm. So at least I had that success because that was a really, you know, big success. Yeah. So when I would talk about the new U2 album coming out, there was actually a lot of interest. And I and I want and I thought this is great. I'm going to be in college, and people are going to respect my 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 opinion on music. Mm. And um and then No Line on the on the Horizon came out, and when we go track by track, we'll see how my reputation at college may or may not have been affected. <laughs> yeah, particularly by a particular single, um, which we won't get into right now. I think that it's interesting that we can give a unique perspective on this. Um, or at least a uniquely British perspective on this, because this was an album that the BBC got behind in a big way. And I found this really interesting. They had U2 Week on the BBC. U2 played on top of the BBC in London. Mm -hmm. uh, they were on, I think, every interview show that the BBC had at that point. And I think that included things like The One Show, which is a... Mm. A kind of how would you describe the one show to um to, mind numbing to, to the rest of the world terrible it it's a very by the numbers thing where they they try it's kind of a variety show really isn't it they try and interest people with like i, I don't know bird watching and stuff like that it's, it's sort you of never like... really know what you're gonna get it's a bit it's a mm. bit of a strange show it's a bit like 
I don't know, Jonathan Ross, but without any of the humour or like energy or fun. You have, you have two presenters who are very happy to, well, very happy with everything and every guest that comes on. Yeah. There's, there's no identity to the presenters. They, they just love whoever is, is, is sat on the, on the couch. That day, it's produced five, five days a week. Mm. It's, it's a strange show, but and I don't know if you two did, did that one, but maybe that's the one they missed. Well, the other thing that I, that I was going to mention about the BBC is that um, not only do you, yeah, you have interviews, as you've said, and the, the live gig, there's a lot of interviews uh, where Lauren Laverne does a whole special with them, which is actually a pretty good special. But, yeah. and, they, and at one point, they even changed the BBC logo to read... Uh, U2 equals, and equal sign is obviously a big part of the marketing for this album, U2 equals BBC, which is crazy that they did that. Yeah. But I have a statement from the BBC, okay, because they had to formally apologise for this uh, this coverage, so uh, sorry for yeah, the Yeah, well, I will say, at this point in time, U2 are probably the least popular they've been since 1990? I think that's yeah, to say. Yeah, it's like Rattle and Hum era, really. Yeah, when people were getting sick of U2... In, in rattling home almost pales in comparison to just how sick of you two people were at this point yeah it's very difficult um so the bbc said the bbc has admitted the launch of the u2 album no line on the horizon last february went too far giving undue prominence to the band the critic said that the bbc had given you two the sort of publicity money can't buy and the corporation's editorial complaints unit acknowledged that radio coverage of the event including a rooftop concert as we said breached guidelines so it's actually a pretty serious thing this i mean from our perspective it was sort of good in a way because our favorite band was getting so much publicity and got to see inside the studio and listen to them doing live performances on the other end of that a lot of the people around us are thinking i'm pretty much fed up with with u2 so after that drought we're given a flood of u2 but not all people appreciated that well, with that all said, I think it is now time for us to go track by track. So, from innocence to experience, get on those boots as we review to No Line on the Horizon. So we begin with the title track, No Line on the Horizon. This, to me, always reminds me of a kind of amalgamation of previous songs, but in a really good way. So I think what you've got here on this song is the scope and the scale of Where the Streets Have No Name and the kind of space-age quality of Zeropa. I think this really kind of, you know, appropriately defines the album's sound, or at least one of the directions in which the album could have gone in. So I love this song beginning, and I remember listening to this song for the very first time, thinking, this is good. I'm secure. This is going to be a good album. Really? That's what I thought. Right, okay. What did you think when you first heard this? Well, I know exactly where I was. I think it's a, it's it's um there's a indelible mark in my in my brain. Uh I was in as I say I was in college. Um I had a lesson between 9 and 10 and I had um just a, a free period until about 3 o'clock that afternoon. So I got on the bus. I I went into town. I bought the record uh, the, the, well, the CD got the bus back to college sat in the um and that's quite a faff actually yeah just for people who wouldn't know that that is not a inconsequential journey no not at all not at all um so then i went to the computer suite uh i put the disc in and i sat the headphones on listening to for the first time 
no line on the horizon. And I sat there head in hands. Really? Yeah. Um, oh dear. This song doesn't feel like an opener. I felt like I was waiting for something to begin and it didn't begin. It it's it, it doesn't feel like an opener. How'd you press play? <laughs> I had, yeah, uh, unfortunately. No Line on the Horizon, the, the, this is the title track, track one. Um, the... the, the 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 chorus where, where where Bono sings "No Line on the Horizon," it's so weak. It's sung in a weak way, and I I've never mm. felt that the melody matches the backing. I, like there's just this this chasm of of what Bono is singing and where the music is, and I've always felt like that, and I've I've never seen it live. Didn't convince me that it was good. Um, it's never got any better on on the on the record or on the CD. Um, the backing is okay, but it's repetitive, and 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 I feel like they want this song to be epic. They want it to be that big epic U two mm. opener, first track on the album. But it isn't. It, it's not that. Well, I think it is. And some one of my friends pointed this out to me recently um, that I. He said that you, Johnny, like repetition on your in your music. That's what 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 you like, and I'd never realised that, but it's completely true. And I like the repetition on this song. I think it works really well. And I've got just as a complete opposite to you. I've got enormous vocal performance from Bono here in my notes. I think I'm probably referring to the the bridge part there. So did you not even like the bridge? No. Oh God. No. Um. I I don't like this track. Um. The O section that comes in at um. 215 it sounds desperate to me it sounds it sounds really really poor and really de- desperate and bono sounds exhausted and and it's just it's not a good showing like on for the first track on the album and i wish i could say it wasn't a sign of things to come well i think this song is excellent and i've got written down here that you know the start, this sounds like a bit of a weird way to go, so bear with me. You know the start of The Lion King, where you have, you know, the whole Circle of Life song, yeah? Yeah. And then after he's held up, the future king, you know, there's that cut to black with just the title, Dum, The Lion King. It doesn't say The Lion King, but, you know, it, it, it's got it there, yeah? Do you know which bit I'm talking about? Yeah. And it feels so satisfying. It's my favourite film. Okay, right, so there we go. <laughs> I feel that satisfied when this song finishes. I, I'm like, dumb. Not because it's finished either, but I think that this has completely delivered. It's space age. It's. I mean, Adam talks about the fact that some of the record sounds like it's emerged from another dimension. I think this is what they were going for with that spaceship setting down You know, the claw, which we won't talk about too much. I think it really lives up to that, and I get that satisfied. And you are looking at me like I'm from another planet. I, I just I don't know what you're hearing on 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 this. And I've been on YouTube uh, forums, and I've I've been on websites where people are always saying this is a, a, a hugely underrated album. And I don't see it. I don't see it. Maybe I don't get it, but I don't. I just don't see what there is to like in this album. And I th- I feel this is worth saying. I waited. Uh, Four and a bit years for for this album. Mm. I really wanted to to get this album, love this album, you know, and pick this album apart, find you know different things I hadn't seen before. 
re- when I was sat in college in on February twenty seventh, two thousand and nine, with my head in my hands, I was sat there wanting to like this. Mm. And and I, I, I do. I don't you two are my favourite band. I don't enjoy not liking the music. Mm. This first track, I I just felt like it just it, it was it was there was nothing there for me, and I, and I can't believe this got released. Well, I'm seeing a sense of indignation and weariness that we have not seen on Review 2 since uh, 4th of July, I think. So I am very interested in how this is all going to pan out over the review. Okay, let's go to track two, which um, is the second single from the album. It's called Magnificent, and my God, I hope it is. Johnny, what are your thoughts? Well, I think it is magnificent. I think the intro to this song is one of the best produced piece of mu- pieces of music that you two have ever put out. It works so well. You've got Eno, obviously, you know, his hands are all over this, basically. All these little electronic, sort of crisp, icy sounds, and then Edge sort of emerging, um, his guitar quite muted in tone, Larry building up, them both building up in kind of perfect synchronicity. And then there's this sort of, you know, tension and release as Edge comes out with this enormous riff, which harkens back in a really good way, I think, to tracks like Pride in the best way. It captures the energy and the expanse of that. And then in the chorus, who should sidle up to the front of the mix? But Mr. Adam Clayton. And he's he's playing around. He's It's sounding so good, this record, so far for me. Adam is outstanding on this track. Um, See, that's one good thing to say. Um Okay, so I remember my first impression. I really do remember this very listening to this record for the first time very, very clearly. And I remember track two coming on, Magnificent coming on, uh, and I was thinking, okay, we might have something here. Mm. Um, okay, this is so. This is where the album starts. That's fine. Uh, great synth, um, great U two style build um, until Edgy's guitar comes bursting through. Uh, Bono's voice sounds much more comfortable. And then he has to sing that line, only to break rhyme, <laughs> which mm. is what what he's actually doing. It's it's not part of the song. It's just something. It's just the line that he has to sing to break a rhyme to get him to the next next bit of the lyric. Really, really irritates me. There is a, there is a song by um, British singer Robbie Williams, uh, and I forget which song it is now. But it uh, oh, he sings, and that's a good line to take this to the bridge. Like that's that's not part of the song. That's that, that's production notes, and they have no part being being in the song. But I'm gonna I'm gonna forget about that and just sidestep that for a minute because I I think this is a good song. Um, but by two minutes twenty five, this song has already been everywhere it's gonna go. That's not true. I I think it is. That is not true. But d- d- listen to the solo. The solo is so good. It's maybe it's again because I'm more focused on Edge than than anything else, to be honest. But but the, that blending of Bono's voice in the background with Edge's solo, so you can't see where one begins and the other finishes, like a certain line on a certain horizon, works so well. And then, although to be fair, to be fair, I will. It's it's sort of annoying that Bono does his thing that he always does, which is when he's getting bored because he's not allowed to sing when Edge is trying to take centre stage, and there's that... Da, 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 da. You know, he comes back in and, and sings over it and sings the melody of the solo, and he, like, 
shut up for a bit, Bono. Let the rest of the band have a moment here. Um, that bit's sort of annoying. It, it's brilliant. I, I think. I think in terms of the of this album, it's a good song, but it's a bit shallow. Shallow. There's, there's no meaning. It's kind of like this album's elevation. It doesn't. Mm, I think there's another song which is like this album's, or trying to be this album's elevation. But yeah, we'll come to that in a bit. But what, what do you mean then about sh- shallowness? Is it just there's not really any complexity? I, yeah, I think that's it. I think it's um, it's like okay, let's write a U two song, and I think that that's it. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be a lot of thought into put into this song. It's just okay, lads, do what you do best. Well, a, I don't think that's so much of a of a crime. I mean, I will say that. I brought pride before. This to me is almost like a rigid pride. It's jubilant, you know. No, it's, it's that good, eh? I okay. Well, let's not get into that debacle again, okay? But <laughs> all the way through this album, you have echoes and spectres of previous songs, and sometimes that's good, and sometimes that's bad. So yeah, I get what you mean. It is. It does have all the kind of quote unquote cliched elements for for you two, whatever that means. Um, but up to now, this album is a joyful noise. Moment of Surrender. Track three. Yes. It says moment, but it goes on for nine minutes. And this is where the pace grinds down to a halt. And I had a similar reaction because I remember distinctly listening to this song for the first time as well. I'd been thinking, oh, this is good and that's good for um, the first two songs. Even on my first listen, I had this kind of sinking feeling. This is a kind of reflectiveness and expansiveness that belongs later in the album. Again, Clayton's doing well. Love the bass. Do you like the bass on this? I, I think Adam is very strong throughout this album. Mm. Um, I can't, I can't criticize Adam. I think he, I think he's really, you know, earning his, earning his twenty five percent here. Well, maybe he listened to our last review of uh, How to Dismantle the Atomic Bomb, where we said he wasn't really doing very much. Um, <laughs> well, as, as impossible as that is, <laughs> I think I think Adam is a good bassist, and sometimes you need a bassist to be a little bit more in the background, you know, in a quieter rhythm section. And sometimes you bassists get to you know be front and center. And I think on this album, he genuinely is front and center. Um, the start of this song the, is has a very interesting. There's a very interesting percussion going on to start, and I, I think it builds pretty successfully this feels like new ground for you two it doesn't remind me of anything else they've done i I certainly couldn't think of anything when i listened to it it's it's the catchiest song so far what i I think it's the catchiest song so far Mm. um because i I don't think it's you know an obvious track like um magnificent i'm not saying magnificent is a bad track but it's it's a track that i expect you two to do Okay. And, and and I'd like you two to surprise me sometimes. And I think this tr- this track does surprise me. Bono, too often in this song, however, sounds at the top of his register in a very, very uncomfortable way. Yep. It it really tr- detracts from the listening experience. Um, and I know Bono's getting older, but sing to your capabilities. I feel like he's trying to sing like he, he could have sang on All That You Can't Leave Behind. On on, um, on moment of surrender, but he's just not got the power in his voice anymore, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, as singers get older, they look at Johnny Cash the way he adapted his voice, yeah, and and how how it changed, how he adapted his style, and I think that's what Bono needs to do, and I think Bono did do that later on, but on this track, it sounds bad, and it's not a bad song. It's just Bono 
doesn't sound good at all. Do you not think it's far too long for this for this early on in the album? I think length is an issue with this album particularly. I think too many songs run too long. Um and and I and I don't know if that's just to make up the time. Mm. Um but uh, yeah, I think it I think it's too long. And that's a shame because I I actually like the idea of this song. I like the idea of surrendering to moments and uh, moments of doubt and moments of well, acknowledging the presence of doubt in your life. Yeah, it, it's strangely optimistic. Um, Edge's solo is beautiful. I'll give I'll give Eddie's, Edge's credit uh, on this track. Sounds a bit like sounds a bit Gilmorey for me, but I do I do like it. It means an Edge solo, so I'm gonna like but it. But again, it, it's it sounds that I don't think you two make that often. This this certainly sounded like a new a new sound and a new U two track. It's one of the most experimental songs. Yeah. And, I mean, is it worth talking a bit about the, the genesis of the song? I mean, apparently this is an improvisation, which Brian Eno said it was, you know, one of the most amazing things he'd ever seen. It's one of his favourites from this album. But, I mean, I don't understand how that can be done. I don't get how you could make a song this put together and produced th- that is actually an improvisation where everyone knows where they're going. I just don't understand that. I don't know, but you two have been playing together at this point for, um, well... Over how long would it have been? Over twenty nine years at that point. Um, so maybe you know, just in, in the band, I imagine it's more Adam, Edge, and Larry. You know, and because we know that Bono brings the, the song in later, but I, I can I can imagine them playing and jamming pretty successfully for the first time. I would just love to know all that procedure of you know what actually happened. Um, as as much of a fan as I am of you two i think the process of them recording an album would be akin to watching the sistine chapel dry mm. well maybe not for maybe after a few weeks yeah you would actually be like this isn't going anywhere yeah but four years imagine four years of this mm. you mentioned that you you thought this is new and i think this is a new direction in the band however the very end where they're returning to they return to a sound which I've heard before. And I remember listening to the album thinking, wait, I've heard this before. Where have I heard this before? And it, the, it's the chants at the end. The O's. The, yeah, the O's. And where are they from, Tyler? Uh, stay far away, so close. Exactly. from And from the live performances particularly. That annoys me. I never me. got that when you used to say that to me when the album came out. And I never got it, but I really, like even in my head now, I can I can, yeah. I can switch between the two and I can I can completely hear the same it's really annoying to me that i just think it's it's the and, worst and kind they of recycling go on, they go on too long it's exactly it's just it's too much i and, and this could have been the, the 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 first great song on the album and it it isn't by by annoying production decisions so moving swiftly on uh we have unknown caller at track four for me, Johnny, this sounds like a song written for an advert. <laughs> yeah, it really does. It's it's very anodyne. It's very that, that, that's a commercial in in the US. Um, yeah. So it's. I like how attentive you are to our international listeners. I mean that genuinely. I I I I, I uh, well, I like them. I like our listeners. I like our anorex. Yeah, uh, fanorex possibly. No, <laughs> let's just leave it with anorex. Well, um, speaking of nonsense. Do you know what with unknown caller? I um. I like the track, but it does sound like it's trying to be more profound than it is, and it isn't profound. It isn't a profound song at all. Nope. Um, 
I think it's I think it's a song that was written for a concert setting. Um, it's very karaoke style. I'm cringing, honestly, thinking about this song now. Uh, and for the first time on the album, listening back this week, I I caught myself singing along to this. But what they did to it live is cringeworthy. We don't normally talk about the tours, mm. but I I do see this album and the 360 tour as two completely different entities. Um, so well, they swiftly dropped. I, I don't mind songs. talking about the 360 tour, particularly with with this song. But they did turn it into a karaoke track, and I've never known you two to be so insecure about a track where they actually need to put the lyrics on the screen. Yeah, I remember us talking about this on the way back, actually, from that gig, and saying like they don't, they shouldn't need to do that. No, like I think that's a, a testament to just how misjudged this album was. The fact that th- that this was a live song, but no one, no one probably would have got got through to this point in the album well i mean i think this is a song which is fundamentally misconceived on a lot of levels i mean it's the, apparently it's the character and we've not really talked about the fact that this is an album of characters so obviously there's, there's the obviously there's the french traffic cop that bono mentions um and we'll see further characters developing this apparently is the same character from moment of surrender so i'm already not on board but this is who's an addict character, according to Bono, someone who drags his uh, wife and family perhaps into drugs and drinking, that kind of thing. And it's that same character who sees his face reflected in the cash machine in Moment of Surrender, which is actually a pretty good line, to be honest. But in this song, they are mysteriously receiving text messages. Is it from God? Is it from some other kind of higher power? And... Just the idea of Bonner, of, of them sitting down and Bonner saying, guys, I've got a great song. It's about someone receiving text messages. This will play really well with the, uh, what, 14 to 17 demographic of people who love texting. And that's such, it's a stupid idea for a song. It leads to really annoying chanting and karaoke elements, as you said. And I mean, having things like, having lines like, shush now, and I think, well, you shush now, and then force quit and move to trash, this is from a band that wrote a sort of homecoming and they're writing forced quit and move to trash. Yeah, it's I don't actually understand what they're trying to do because it's not as if they're engaging with new technology. Like, you know, move to trash was around in 1995, I think. Mm. Or probably before that. I'm not an IT expert. I'm not a U2 expert, but it's just this this song seems misjudged in a, in a lot of ways. It feels Do you think it sounds like Walk On at the start as well? Um, because I always think it does. I don't. I don't think I've thought that, but I'm happy to, you know, go with that. Because I, I think I think this is an album of just not a lot of good ideas. Well, I think there's there's good ideas hidden underneath everything. So the the actual the first because it takes a while to get going. This song, the first thirty seconds to a minute or so before we get the kind of bad version of Walk On brought in. Um, there's a lot of songs on this album that remind me of different songs. Yeah, exactly. And this this one to me, when it gets going, it's that it's that riff, the do 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 do. It just sounds a bit like Walk On. Um, if you play them side by side, the intros, you'll I think you'll see what I mean. Um, but the texture at the start, where you can hear all the kind of um, the the um, Moroccan, you know, all the, all the fez kind of sounds that they recorded and tried to and. Uh, theme the album round at the start 
you can see those are all at the start. And I actually quite like as you're singing Sunshine and when you've got the light drums coming in. I actually think I was actually thinking this sounds good. And then it just rambles into such an awful series of chords. I, I hate talking about U2 songs that I don't like, as, as you were saying before. But this is trash. Yeah, it's... They didn't they didn't do this song any favors um and, and yeah I I I don't think we're going to get anywhere with this are we No let's hang up Yeah I know I'll go crazy if I don't go crazy tonight Possibly one of the clunkiest titles that you two have ever released Poppy if we're being mean possibly a little twee What do you think uh, I would say back to a standard U2 sound. Um, this reminds me a lot of City of Blinding Lights, uh, like in a in a huge way. Oh, really? In uh, in what specific way? Like the guitar um, sound, or I d- I don't know I don't know what it is specific. I think there's a si- there is a similar sound though. Maybe the ding ding ding. Yeah, ding. yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, it's a positive song. It's an inspirational song, and I think the songs that we talked about. Uh, over the past couple of weeks with All That You Can't Leave Behind and How To Dismantle An Atomic Bomb. The the songs that that have really stuck with us and that we really enjoy are the positive and inspirational songs. Yeah. Um, And I think this is a a, a good inspirational, a a good inspirational and a good positive song. Uh, And it's a good catchy song. I I, I don't think it's shallow. I think it's got some good meaning. Uh, And this song was remixed, and I don't know the exact remix, but apparently this song was re- did really well in, in club culture as well, which is a mm. strange thing to say for a U2 song. Yeah, I mean, obviously they'd had some success with that with uh, New Year's Day early on, and then in the 90s, they obviously, even better than the real thing, is kind of made, and Mysterious Ways, so they're sort of made to be remixed, really. I That brings me on to a good point, actually, or one of the main things that I like about this song is its potential. I don't necessarily want this joyful version that's very Will I Am influenced. Um, he was the producer on this track, wasn't he? I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And apparently, he's got he's got vocals. Uh, he's he's got vocals elsewhere on the album, and he's he's giving he's contributing keyboards here. But I can't really hear his in terms of him playing music. But I can hear his influence in the kind of the the joy and the happiness of this song. Fine, fair enough. That that gives us this song. This song's okay. But the potential of this song comes out through the remixes and the live performances when it becomes a storming song. It becomes such a fun club song, really intense. Clayton's bass is completely changed to that do 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 do, and it's Larry's got his bongos out, which is brilliant. Loads yeah, it of sounds fun. incredible, doesn't it? And Larry's walking around on the stage. You know, I'm getting excited thinking about it and thinking back to when we when we saw it. I want a. Four, minute, four to five minute version that kind of song because uh, the remixes are brilliant but you can't sit down and put on a nine minute remix all the time can you no so. no i i agree I, and i think this is this may be the best song on the album so far uh and it needs to be <laughs> it needs to be it, it's 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 a bit late in the in the album to be honest mm. to be bringing out songs like this and i think this is a new school of thought for you two because this is this is this should be track two or three maybe four mm. but if you're putting together um trying to figure out the way you two put together most albums yeah i think this needs to be on the, on the first side of a vinyl so the first three tracks really 
it definitely would have been a better song to take the place of Moment of Surrender, for example, which is so long, for example, and, and a lot less fast in its tempo. So, no, I totally agree. What do you think about lines like, every generation gets a chance to change the world? Because, sorry, change their world. Is it their world or the world? I, I've always heard it as the world. Okay. Um, I mean, I either or, this is where Bono is repeating and i know people have brought this point up before but he's he's repeating things that he says in at speeches and you can imagine him giving you know his ted talks and saying these kind of lines well i, I like the line pity the nation that won't listen to the boys and girls i, I like that I, I do i do like that line it's it's supposed to but but you know bono's going to put politics and religion into into things where maybe he doesn't need to but it's it's not gratuitous or anything it's it's uh mm. It's more subtle than he's been known to be. So I'm, I'm happy with the line. I've always liked the line as well. Tyler, we're about to go on a lovely hike, and I think it's time for you to get on those boots. No, I won't. I'm staying in It's Cold Outside. I think I'm going to have to drag you out the house to uh, to this song. Why? What's wrong with this song, then? Come on. Can't just be quiet. <laughs> All right, let's just start with what's right with this song. And there's a lot to like. Great bass line. Yep. Now let's go to what's wrong with this song. Uh... No, seriously, this is this is seriously my honest opinion. Okay, this, go on. Seriously, my honest opinion. Hit me. What the hell were they thinking? Like, what the hell? Who, who thought this was a good idea? Who let them release this? The, whoever made those decisions needs to be made accountable. Uh, this is... It's so bad. It, I mean, mm. and it is bad. It's not It's not just bad for a U2 song. It's bad music. It, and and it's, it's akin to an, a, a novelty charity single. That's how bad it is. Um, and I remember going back to college after uh, a year plus of, of telling how great you two were and trying to get them to listen to, you know, great songs like um, Unforgettable Fire and, and Ultraviolet. Um, a, a couple people got into pop, but, you know, I can't get everybody into, into pop and, and that's fine. But when you're there trying to do this and trying to advocate for the for the band and trying to get new listeners to 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 find something they like with you two and 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 to be fair there's a vast catalog the many different styles and many different songs um and that I'm always astounded that people can't find anything they like I think it's just laziness but when the next song that comes out when I've been saying all this is get on your boots all the criticisms of you two have just been confirmed they are they they seem in this song out of touch uh they they don't seem to know what's going on in music around this time the kings of Le- the kings of Liam were really really big with the song uh, sex on fire um you had other new bands you know coming through Coldplay had just really hit their stride with viva la vida yeah um and then you two turn up with get on your boots and it's not good in any way. Um, even I, I watched for for people who bought the deluxe version of this album, you would have got a um, a film, an Anton Corbin film called Linear in it. And 
I think I think it's a very good a, a very good film, a bit artsy, uh, and that's not really what I, I like. But I, I enjoyed listening listening and watching yeah. that that film. And even Anton Corbin, the genius that he is, didn't know what to do with this song. He set the the video of this song in a almost Lynchian strip club where the strippers were wearing fake mustaches and um it's it's just it's bizarre um and it's on this review to journey it is the only song i couldn't listen to and i had to skip there is no other song on any u2 album that i just had to turn it off this is the only one well i think you'll have missed a lot of um no not a lot of good stuff but some good stuff i mean I will agree completely that this put you two back. You know, it it really did not help. And I think worst of all, the band kind of realized how bad of a song it was as a as a single, you know, and as a, a kickoff single. And the lead single yeah, exactly. from the album. They realized that mid promoting it, you know. So it seems like Bono's a lot happier doing Breathe, for example, than than this. It's hmm. It's difficult, really, because it did. It was sort of like the easiest way to refute everything that I'd been saying about how good you two were. And they would instantly say, you know, you present all of these facts about them having a long career, having lots of different styles, saying they've got epic albums, they've got postmodern albums, they've got early, you know, kind of post punk albums. And they'd say, but get on your boots. And you'd be like, yeah, they're, they're yeah, pretty terrible. Yeah. But good things about it. Um, let's just check my notes because I can't really remember what the good things are about it. And that's the uh, point. That's the point. That's the point. You can't remember anything good about this. Well, the riff it's is so good. resoundingly bad in your memory that you have. Uh, when did you write those notes? Last night? Two days ago? Yeah, yeah. You actually can't remember the good things about this. Okay. The, as you brought up the bass before, the bass and the guitar sort of linked together really well here. Adam's got a great sound on his bass, very fuzzy, you know. And Edge has got... I think Edge sounds really cool on this track. I think he sounds excellent. Um, And this, to me, completes the trilogy of big, dumb rock songs, right? We began with Elevation. Great song, really uplifting, lots of fun. Vertigo, bombastic, but also reflecting somewhat the kind of dizzying paranoia of the age. And then we've got Boots, which is where the whole thing really does become a big, stupid rock song. And Bono was trying to make a point here about women being the future and holding all the you know like why don't women rule the world and it's so I, I don't i don't i don't buy that, that that that's what this song is about that, that there's a one lyric i think that mentions women women are the future hold the big revelations oh, oh the big revelations it's like you know it's like a sarcastic tone i don't i don't <laughs> I think it's, I, it's not a, really. it's not about that you're just clutching at straws there bono and i i, I would love to defend bono about this song but you can't it's that bad. Fun fact about this song, and I'm segueing into fun facts rather than good things about it. This is the fastest song up to that point. But the thing is, that increase in tempo, you don't feel it. Vertigo feels way faster than this. I mean, the ocean feels faster than this in some in some respects. I mean, it's it doesn't translate into energy. There's, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing to listen to, and it it's. What about the bridge? Do you like the bridge? Let me in the sound and Larry's going boom, ch- boom, ch- boom ch- That let me in the sound thing is used a lot better in a later track. Yeah. Um, 
I re- read a lot of reviews where people were saying Larry Mullen is sounding like Nine Inch Nails in the middle of this song because he's hitting the drum kit so hard. I don't think so. It doesn't. I mean, he might be hitting it hard, but he's not got the right kind of effects on it. If they wanted to go for a sort of industrial feel, I think they should have gone way harder with this. I think they should have got rid of lines like "sexy boots," got rid of the boots aspect altogether. Actually, frankly, um, I do like the fact that the chorus is kind of reflecting the interest in a more eastern than western kind of melodic scale. I mean, that's a very generalized point. But that's quite interesting and shows that Fez influence, which I think if they'd really focused on and actually gone hard with, could have at least unified this album, not made it so fractured. The problem is, the problem this song is so bad is we waited over four years for this. Yeah. And that's the thing that stings the most. You two fans, I think, in, in by and large, they don't mind that much waiting for a, for a good U2 album. But when the result is this... I don't think anyone would have listened to Get On Your Boots and then go, oh, I've got to go and try and get into that new U2 record. No, it's it, it was backwards, bad decision-making, bad song, just not, not what U2 are or who they are and not what U2 is about. Okay, so calming down after that review, here we go with stand-up comedy. Funky-style riff, you don't... And 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 they do sound like a, a funk band in in this song, which I don't know if you two have ever sounded like. Maybe very early on, I think Adam did a few funky bass uh, bass riffs on yeah. on the first two albums. But this, as as a full band, this, this I think this is the first time they've ever experimented with that funk sound. I think Edge's riff in Discotech is pretty funky, but it's only sort of been more. F- flashes of that than a commitment to it i mean i i see what you're saying about the funk and the, the kind of rhythm that they've got here but to me this sounds like a bad led zeppelin tribute song in terms of the main riff it's it's fine as a main riff goes but it really just just sound like by the numbers you know can you play something that sounds a bit like led zeppelin yeah here we go i didn't get led zeppelin i, I think it sounds like uh the beatles in parts uh like come on you people stand up for your love that that was very Beatlesy, Sergeant Pepper kind of mm. era. Do you, do you hear that line as um as come on you people? Because I think right at the end, Bono sounds like what are you, what are you smiling about? Because you you're thinking I'm going to have a crazy mishearing of this. Well, well, the jury's still out, but you, you're not very good at hearing songs. No, not really. But I always hear, particularly at the end, after Bono's done quite a few of these uh, come on you people. I I hear it as him saying come on ye people, you know, in a sort of like medieval style. Well, maybe. I mean, if if that was going to happen, this would be the album that that it happened on. Um, but I'll I, I tell you the line I really like in this song. Stop helping God across the road like a little old lady. Mm. Um, and, I, I, and I'm not sure I know what that means, but what it means to me is like, I, I, I personally, I'm not a theist, but if you are a theist and you, and you do believe in God, um, Maybe there's a time in your life when you when you think that maybe God does have to answer for some things, uh, you know, some of the, some of the evils in the world, and and you can't just make excuses for him and like oh, oh well God moves in mysterious ways. Mm. Um, maybe sometimes God does have to answer for things, and I think that's an interesting lyric because we know how religious uh, you two are. Yeah. So so that's that that line's always sort of out for me. I mean, I always hear that line as God doesn't need 
def- defending. You know, it's that whole thing about, you know, Bono saying people don't need to defend God. He's God. He doesn't need that sort of protecting from anything. He's bigger than for if you are a theist. I'm not either. Um, he doesn't need it. Mm. And I think that's that's interesting because during this time, there was a lot of backlash against religion. It was kind of not the heyday, but there was certainly a lot of new atheism going around at that particular time. And a lot of apologists in response to people like Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, were making statements about, you know, they're writing whole books defending God and religion. And I think what Bonner's bringing up there is quite a good point. You don't, he doesn't need defending because the kind of God you're revealing by coming to his aid all the time, it makes, it makes God seem embarrassing, like a little old lady. So, yeah, it's an, it's an interesting line. It sort of reminds me of, it reminds me of um, All Because of You, though, you know, about the baby crossing the uh, the highway on a on a voyage of discovery and intellectual tortoises and we're back in an an era that, an area that I don't like basically well fair enough you know that that just stuck out for me um i don't mind this song it's okay but it's, this is a problem isn't it that yeah. you're that you're just being like yeah it's okay this isn't like we're we're just saying like oh yeah this is not the best song or fact and baby or this is an okay song on Joshua Tree this is not going well to be honest it's it's depressing. Do you really. mean the album? At this point, I don't think the album's going well. I, I think there is half of a great album in this in this album, uh, you know, and this is not. It would not be part of this. I mean, the line "soul rocking people" and then just the amount he's saying "love." It's 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 in Bono back in embarrassing dad form. I think here, soul rocking people. Um, there is more of the idea of Bono criticizing himself as well on this so he's talking about you know sort of being a a small man you know in a josephine be careful of small men with big ideas yeah yeah and i'm thinking you know don't defend god and don't defend yourself on this just be the rock star that you want to be and don't keep being obsessed with this i think he did that self-criticism so much better in original the species where it was a reference it was subtle but a song about your ego is still an egotistical act even if you're sort of taking the mick out of yourself it's insurance policy don't bother with it bono honestly be the fly bono always be the fly oh what a beautiful baby boy what are you gonna call him fez (laughs) um so this is fez being born yeah and this is sort of a two-part review because these are two Two tracks. Yeah, stuck together, joined uh, in the middle in a really interesting way. Should we begin with Fez and then sort of move into Being Born? I yeah, guess that would, that, that well, make sense. I, I've, I've done it as one. Um, but but Fez is a very haunting start, Yeah, I, I think. Um, and, and has a much, much better view, a better use of Let Me In The Sound. Um, let me, what is it? Let Me In The Sound, Let Me In The Sound. Oh God, I'm going down. I don't want to drown. Think, Meet Me In The Sound. I think it's only... Let me in the sound on this bit. It's just sort of the echoes of that. Okay, so that that was that's the snippet of um, get on your boots. Um, not everything about get on your boots is 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 maybe terrible because I think that actually um, that, that that fits pretty well in the, there's an echo and a far away quality to it. And you get to all of the actual Fez sounds, you know, recorded here, the sort of marketplace yeah. sounds. I think this is really interesting, and this is where I wanted. Well, I didn't know, I suppose, before I heard the record, but this, when I listened back to it, is where I want you two to go, somewhere interesting. And this was originally, in one form of the track listing, going to be the start of the album, which, I mean, 
it would have been the zoo station style shock to put this on and hear this. I think it's interesting. Many times when we've been review in um, the albums, you two have harkened back to Dublin quite a lot. Uh, uh, take the Joshua Tree, for, for example, in Rattling Home, when we think it's about um, America and, and the, the journey in America mm. um, and, and parts of El Salvador. But it always seems to come back to Dublin. I think this is the first record where you two aren't referring back to Dublin. I don't think that's the case with this record, as they seem to focus on a, a more European and certainly a more African style of community and a, and a foreign sense rather than a, a home sense. That's yeah. what I think is interesting when they bring in those, you know, those elements of of Fez, you know, and and like recording the day to day life of Fez. Um, that you that you can hear at the beginning of this track, and I think I just think it's really really interesting, and it it start it, it creates this great atmospheric sound, um, for the for the beginning of being born. Yeah, and there's that um little sort of segue section, the do do do, which is really good, and I actually think is sort of almost sounds a bit like Radiohead. It's the sort of production where you actually are fiddling around with the the record. It sounds like someone is you know, messing around with the mixing decks and the mixing desk rather. And it's, I mean, I, I, I love this song. I think it's got such a force behind it. Clearly consciously hearkening back to the sorts of sounds used on the unforgettable fire, which obviously is one of, well, it's one of, if not my favorite U2 song ever. So that's great. I mean, this is a kind of a meeting between that old territory and this new Fez influenced sound. And apparently they weren't happy when they originally put together all of these kind of um, more Fez influenced parts of the record because it sounded a bit like patronizing world music. You know, it's like U2 is off on the holiday <laughs> yeah. kind of thing, which I admit could sound awful and could have made this an actual offensive embarrassment, you know. But what do you think of being born, the actual, you know, when the track gets going? I think it's great. There's, there's a lovely bit of piano in the background, which I, some people might not hear because I think it's quite low. Um, but I, I really, I really enjoyed it. Um, Larry's good, isn't he? I've not mentioned Larry at all. <laughs> During this album, uh, I mentioned him earlier, but I didn't, I didn't say it. There was one, one point where he, he sounded really bored, and I, I can just imagine him hoping they'd ask him to just record a loop that he could go and do some fishing or something, or ride his bike or something like that. Yeah. Uh, th- this is not a Larry album, I don't think. But this song is really. Do you not think it's really carried by Larry like that? That upbeat i think adam and larry are, are very tight in this but they, they yeah. need to be that they are the constant um vein of 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 stability i think in 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 the record mm. uh, but this is a good song i felt it went too long uh and i'm i'm reminded of that <laughs> quote from lord of the rings where bilbo says i feel like butter scraped over too, too much, much bread. bread yeah like you get that sense with this song. It, it starts out well, but they, they they have a problem finishing songs on on particularly on no line on the horizon. It, with, with the songs, it seems like there's no line on the bloody horizon. I know what you're saying about the it, it's being spread a little bit thin. I mean, the lyrics are just two stanzas, which is interesting. So some of the individual words, even not lines, are spread out across. No, this is the thing. The me- the Lyrically, they're not long songs. If you look in in the handbook that comes with the CD, then the there aren't there's not 
a great amount of lyrics here. They're all, you know, put together very succinctly. Hmm. Um, they, it, it just goes on. It just goes on and on and on. And it, 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 on one or two tracks, you don't mind. But when it's every track and you're noticing that every track seems to just go on a bit and, and doesn't do anything, then, then it's a problem. White as snow. And I'm going to do a bit of shameless uh, Wikipedia quoting here. So this song was written from the perspective of a dying soldier serving in Afghanistan and apparently lasts the length of time it takes him to die. And, I mean, we could just begin with that point. This is another character song. And maybe if this album had been called Characters, and that's a terrible name for an album, but if there'd been a bit more focus on this as an essential motif, I think the album would have been more successful. Overall, this album just needs more more focus. It needs something to thread through it and make it not just a mess. And if Bono had said, look, I'm not writing from my own perspective in this, it's going to be all third person, and this is one of the characters, that could have worked. Um, but I think you just don't get enough of that on this album. You're not told or prompted enough about this. So this character's stories, you can investigate it if you want. But I mean, did you get a sense of this whole story um, of this character, Tyler? I never have with the album in this form, but with Linear, which I'm going to talk about more on Breathe, yeah. Um, then I, I got the idea of a, of a narrative, at least. Not not necessarily stories. Um, I, I personally thought this song was about the innocence of eternal youth. Um, it sounds quite like a hymn. Well, that's because, back to my uh, Wikipedia quoting, the track is based on the hymn Veni Veni Emmanuel, and uh, it's sort of a rewriting of that or an adaptation of that. So it's not even you two going up with any um, really completely original ideas on this song. I I think like, they were so out of ideas at this point and they didn't know where they wanted to go or what mm. they wanted to do that there's just a lack of direction in general on, on, on the album. And it's weird because there was that tension in the band, as we discussed on Acton Baby, when Edge and Bono particularly wanted to go in one direction and they couldn't convince Larry and Adam that that was the right way to go until they brought songs. And it needed that implosion for them to then come back full force. But but they're old enough now that you know to know and, and, and successful enough now to know that any direction is better than none or, or, or four people trying to pull in four different directions. So it's kind of inexcusable. Yeah, I mean, I'm sort of conscious that we might be, be might be sounding quite mean on this review. We've gushed a lot on other podcasts. That's true. We have gushed a lot, and and there's, you know, we are two people whose favorite band is U2. We're not, you know, people who journalists who just like to rip U2 apart for the sake of it, no matter what they do. Yeah, we want to. We said this before. We want to like this album. But you can't force that. And I think yeah. that's the problem. They forced this album. But back to White as Snow, I do think this is where Bono vocally sounds best on the whole album. It's quite close again, isn't he? Yeah, but I, I think I think it I think it's a lovely little track. Um it's very inoffensive, uh, and it's a welcome change of pace. it's it's one of the best songs on the album. Production-wise, I definitely agree. Um, I think I like this overall sound. It's sort of clean, icy. Um, Edge's backing vocals are really soft and 
I'd say beautiful in the background. The problem is that I don't actually think this is that good of an actual song. It's kind of like a piece on earth in that way. It's about serious subject matter. I like the production. I just don't think the song bit is that good. And we were talking about Larry being fed up. I got a real sense at the end of this. And if you listen back right to the end of the track, you might agree or disagree with me that Larry's just like chucking in the towel, basically throwing down his sticks at the end of it and being like, thank God that's recorded. I'm going off. I'm riding my bike. Yeah. Yeah. So here we go. The penultimate track on the album, Breathe. Okay. So I've talked a lot about Linear so far on this, uh, on this album. Linear is a film commissioned by U2 for Anton Corbin, the band's longtime photographer, to go away and make a film out of the songs on the album. Now, what's interesting about this is that they did that um, about nine months before the album came out. So the track listing that they gave to Anton Corbin was a different track list. So if you go and you watch Linear, you're actually going to hear the album in a very different way because it was um, a much earlier track list and a track list that actually makes sense. Uh, and Breathe is the first track on Linear. So do you think this should be the first track on No Line on the Horizon? Yes, it builds. It, like, you two like to have a song like Where the Streets Have No Name or Zoo Station or Zoo Roper were you know it builds to into the album and i think breathe does that really really well um it, and i think it would have been a much better start to the album to have breathe then perhaps um i'll go crazy and 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 then another track i don't i don't know what track to put, mm. put to put next but to put those those big songs and what's interesting about those two tracks is is oh wait i'll go crazy is a, is a single yeah, but I don't think it was a very successful single. No. So I, I, but I think the whole listening experience could have been improved if they'd have done that more traditional way. And if you don't believe me, please go and watch uh, Anton Corbin's Linear, and you will n- you'll see what I think. The album travels in a much much better pace, it and it's much more interesting to listen to the album that way, and the album works better in that way. I it. There is definitely a problem with pacing on this album and track listing, I would agree. And it, I actually quite like the idea of the album beginning with Larry's, you know, drum soloing uh, being fading in. Because yeah. when have we heard when have we heard that from a U two album? Really, I can't think of any occasion. I still think No Line on the Rise should be the first song, but maybe that's because I like the song a lot. And I think that it's nice that there is a meaty track towards the end of this album because, I mean, if we had one more. Get on your boots, stand up comedy, white as snow. At the end of this album, then it would be there would be nothing for me to get into. Yeah. Um, I can get fully behind "Breathe" as an overall song, just as much as I can get behind the first two tracks on the album. I think the song is brilliant. I remember hearing it live when the album was just about to be be pre- promoted and produced to the public, and um, I was I was excited. You know, it, it's a great song. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, it's a joy to sing. Love that line running down a road like loose electricity. I've got that written here. One of the, um, one of the best lyrics. While the band in my head performs a striptease. Yeah, brilliant. I just, great imagery, and and it feels like this is a track that had the U two had time to actually figure out. Which 
is ridiculous. They, they should have had, you know, they, they could have done two albums in five years. Mm. Um, but we, we've said enough about that. I think this is one of the strongest songs on the album. Yeah. And, and, and it really works. Yeah, I think it's got... It's, it's too hidden at the back, though. Maybe so. I, I, they, they did promote it, but I see what you mean. The thing is, this should have been a strong, more single-type song, I suppose, and then they should have had really good deep cuts where they were getting into stuff, you know, where they're getting more complex, but the songwriting isn't there. This is a song that is heartfelt bombast. It's set on Bloomsday, a nod to Joyce and the novel Ulysses, and I think if we are going to kind of draw a connection, there's a mixture here of the sometimes sort of mundane details, silly details, um, and lines that are just pure poetry, like the one you mentioned before. So it's great. I mean, and do you get a feeling that all the tension that we've had about this album and that the album itself exhibits is being released here a little bit? A little bit, but I'm just annoyed that it's come to this so far into the album. I mean, I do think that many people would have put this album on maybe once or twice, but and then never really discovered Breathe. Yeah, you're not um, getting past the, some of those other songs. You're not getting past Boots. I'm, I'm afraid it's. It's it's unfortunate and it's the worst. I think it's the worst track list you two ever put together. I, I, and 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 I don't mm. think they could they could beat it if they tried. I don't think they could possibly put a worse track list together. Cedars of Lebanon. I think this is actually a bit of a gem, and it took me a while to get really into this song but I think it's absolutely brilliant. I really like this song. It's underappreciated. Bono is very close. I think this is actually, we mentioned this on Zeropa, on songs like Babyface, Bono feels, just in terms of proximity, really close. But I think this is the kind of the weariest he's ever been on a record, and he's almost whispering into your ear. Edge has got these lovely, glittering, kind of chiming notes, and they're really expressive but there's the quite few as well the song is quiet larry's obviously moved to a, a, a stick that is very very light and bono's songwriting is actually good here his lyricism's good there's a lot of tension in the details that sometimes might seem a little bit boring or mundane so oranges bringing in oranges sorry <laughs> an orange bringing an orange that's a weird image um a soldier bringing oranges out from a tank and then Bono saying that he's waiting on a waiter, he's taking a while to come. There's something almost kind of poetic and novelistic about that. There's a lot of tension built into those lines. And the idea of waiting on a waiter, Bono's actually got some good lyrics in this album. They're just hidden behind silliness. And this is the one time, and I know I've banged on about this song for quite a while without letting you get a word in, Tyler. This is the one time where I think the character is actually developed. I understand this is a journalist. He's trying to fit complicated lives into a headline as the song says, you know, squeezing those people in, in a way that is unsatisfactory, but still has to occur, especially in a, you know, with the world in the state it is at this particular time. So I, I love this song. Bono is, is pretty good poet. Uh, and there, you know, in, in some of our favorite songs, he's, you know, it's, it's the poetry and the lyrics that we really pick up on. And I got that. And this song really reminds me of Unforgettable Fire. Um, mm. It's, it, it's, it's, it's uh, atmospheric, um, nice lyrics good poetry and it and it's a calm track it's not a track you expect you to to do that said 11 tracks that's it that's quite a short album for you two 
Uh, there's normally at least 12. And I think that's the reason a lot of the other songs have gone on a bit too long. I think they just didn't have the 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 songs for this album. I don't think they had the ideas. I don't think they knew what they wanted to do. I think they, they wanted a different direction. I think um, in the in the years before this uh, this album before uh, before after atomic bomb bono was saying we don't know what we're going to do maybe the rock has to go we need we need a new direction but we, we're not sure what has to change so they were thinking about doing a, a record that wasn't necessarily a rock record well i know that he said maybe the rock has to go and then the second thing he said is maybe the rock has to go a lot harder yeah so but that's the thing it's got to be decisive and this album is anything but decisive no it's yeah it's all it's all over the place yeah. um but cedars of Le- lebanon um it's a really really nice track um and it's a good way to end uh, an album but unfortunately the songs don't have to be that good to really to really shine on this track they, they were not pushed for great songs it's just it's just anything that reminds us of that that band that we that we've loved for you know 29 years at this point and I think built into this song is something of a mic drop moment and a meta awareness, if I'm not being too pretentious here, of the fact that Bono knows this album is not going to be a Joshua Tree or an All You Can't Leave Behind. Um, so he's talking about choosing your enemies wisely because um, they will end up defining you and your enemies are going to stay with you a lot longer than your friends. Yeah. I love that moment in the song. I think it's one of the best ways to end a U2 album because he's almost saying, we know this hasn't gone very well and we're aware of the fact that people who hate us will actually possibly get the bigger say than than the friends, you know. Yeah. And a lot of the friends may have left by this point. There may have been fans who just went done at Get On Your Boots. I'm sure you, obviously you wouldn't have thought that about the older stuff, but it must have happened for some people that they, were, they just thought, I'm, I'm sick of this band now. Absolutely. Isn't it the sweetest thing? I'm not sure everyone's ears are going to be intact after that. So if you've done well to stick through that and stick through the album, double points for you. As you might have been able to tell, we've been having a couple of issues with audio this week. But at this point, I chose Cedars of Lebanon as my sweetest thing. And now back to the remainder of the podcast. Uh, Mine was Breathe. And now, of course, time for everybody's Dirty day. Should we say it in unison? I assume it's the same one. We can say it in unison, yeah, if you want. Three, two, one. White as snow. What? <laughs> I knew you'd pick boots. Um, I just think boots has a good riff, and white as snow is just—it's not really anything. Ugh. Okay, so Johnny, is this an album, or is this a flipping album? It's tough to say, isn't it? Is this a masterpiece? It can rank alongside Actung Baby, The Joshua Tree. It's a tough call. Um, obviously being sarcastic. I think I'm more forgiving of this album than you are. I like the, the whole feel of this album. Actually, in its sort of aesthetic feel, more than Bomb in a lot of places. I think the production and the whole icy kind of white and blue and greys. I, I like that kind of thing. So... No, this is not a flipping album in our definition. It's an album just about. And with perhaps some of the tracks being missed off it, 
it would have been something really interesting. It's very restless. And if they'd gone in a proper direction, a unified direction, it would have been an interesting album. Possibly a great one. Um, well, I'll say this again. No one wanted um, you 2 to set the world alight with, uh, with this new album more than I did in February 2009. I wanted to love this album. It still annoys me that, you know, that there is a, a blemish and an album that I have just have pretty much zero interest in listening to. Um I wanted to talk about this album um with my friends and I wanted, you know, to discuss it and uh, really discover different things about it. But but in many ways it just it doesn't seem finished to me. Um the mo- the melodies aren't smooth the lyrics aren't interesting and quite frankly the original track list that is featured on linear is much better um in my opinion this is to at the absolute worst wow um and i take no pleasure in saying that whatsoever because i do think they're a great band and i know they're capable of so much more i and i i don't think i'll ever fully under, understand what went wrong here? I don't think I'll I'll ever find the answer. Um, but for me, of course not. It's 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 not even an album. It's it's a mistake, uh, and I can't believe that the record company let them release this. That that's the biggest crime. That that they had people. Around, I can only assume that they had yes men around them instead of people who were critically saying no this, this this just isn't good enough which i think artistically is more useful than just having people bowing down to you know whatever greatness is you know put upon icons like you two well that's the problem isn't it once you get to this the level of fame that you two had achieved and success because they're obviously an incredibly successful live band still and the last record was very successful they've still got a massive back catalog of albums that are attracting sales figures all the time and we need to remember that the tour that happened after this was i think not only the band's highest grossing tour it was actually one of if not the highest time i think it was the highest grossing tour of all time so the point i'm trying to make is that there probably were a lot of yes men around and this is a difficulty with becoming that big and that successful there's no more limits anymore there is you know kind of no more limits on the horizon for you two. They're not be giving. They're not given time restrictions. They can. They can just go to Morocco, set up a studio, and play around for a bit. They can take a long time and dither around and not have any kind of you know restrictions on that. And that's a bad thing. And maybe they should self-impose some of them. I mean, it it may have helped in this in this occasion. It's it's a, it's unfortunate, and it's an it's a, it's an unfortunate. Um. It's unfortunate that it happened, but they're not the first band to bring out um, a bad album. And in the grand scheme of things, I don't think you 2 will be remembered for this album. I, I think, you know, the, the, the heights are so high that I've allowed this, this one, this one bad album. Because really, what's one bad album when you, you've done 11, 11 great other albums? So... That that that's that, and that's no line on the horizon. Um, uh, maybe you find something different. Maybe you enjoy it. Maybe you think it's the, your favorite album. We really would love to, you know, to to hear that. Um, yeah, and we're not disagreeing with your point of view. 
but we have to be honest with how we how we find it. With that said, um, I think all that is left to do is to say goodbye. This is the last episode of season two, but we'll be back with you in two weeks with our review to Christmas episode. So uh, we hope you'll join us back for that one. But until then, from myself and Johnny, we'll see you next time. See you soon. Hi there, thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to get in touch, please contact us on facebook.com forward slash review 2 you or on soundcloud.com forward slash review 2 or search for the Review 2 podcast on iTunes. You can also email us at review2contact at gmail.com. Please like, comment and subscribe. Thank you.